Hey, welcome Bitcoiners. It's Joe Rogers with Bitcoin Magazine. I'm uh, gathered here today with my good friend, CK. And uh, I had an opportunity to sit down with Isaiah Jackson and uh, CK. This this was a really uh, cool conversation that I had with him. Did you have a chance to listen to it? Uh, not yet, but I'm excited to listen to the pod when everyone else does. Um, but Isaiah in, ge- in general, is uh, he's the man. Uh, I actually met him at Bitcoin Is in 2019. Um, he handed me his book. He was like, hey, I wrote this like... Um, I'm trying to help educate people in the in the black community about self ownership in Bitcoin, and I immediately knew that like this guy was you know had a message that needed to be heard, um, and you know I know that he has grown a tremendous amount. Um, his content has improved a tremendous amount, and uh, he's just absolutely killing it. Yeah, I I tell you what, um, I haven't had a chance to visit with him. This is my first time uh, to you know, actually get to speak with him. Uh, but I picked up a copy of the book myself and read it. And I thought that this was something that you could pass along to any kind of noob or um, anyway, it doesn't have to be a black person. Of course it is speaking to the black community, uh, but this, you could pass it on to anyone. And uh, what's really exciting is he's got volume two coming out and it's going to be, if this is seen as like a one-on-one version, the next book is going to be the more advanced level where he gets into hodling and securing Bitcoin and uh, that's I'm really pumped about that. And I didn't know this. He's been partnering uh, with Russ. They're going kind of like uh, church to church around the U.S. doing some outreach, educating pastors and different congregations about Bitcoin. So um, he's a real one. He's doing some big things. And overall, it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Before we get into the show, though, let's talk about our sponsor. Uh, you guys have heard it many times here on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. It is Blockstacks, Stacks 2.0. Um, the Stacks 2.0 blockchain is a sidechain for Bitcoin. It is a separate blockchain that uses Bitcoin as its unit of account. And they're trying to give a lot of the capabilities that a lot of these other altcoins are leveraging right now on their chains. They're trying to bring those capabilities to a much more Bitcoin native setting and infrastructure where you can peg in and out Bitcoins. Uh, and if you stake STX, which is the block stacks token in order to uh, secure that blockchain, uh, you actually get paid out in BTC as your rewards. So um, that uh, the token offers cash flow to some degree in Bitcoin, um, which is a much better development than, you know, what we've been seeing in other kind of like staking experiments. So I think this is an extremely positive direction in Bitcoin dominating the world of crypto as the de facto money. And I love to see, um, you know, projects like Stacks 2.0, you know, building off of Bitcoin rather than fighting Bitcoin. So go check out Stacks 2.0 at Stacks2.com. That's S-T-A-C-K-2, the number two, dot com. Uh, And yeah, developers especially, go check that out. But that's enough of me. (laughs) Let's get into this podcast. All right, Isaiah, thanks for joining me today on another Bitcoin Magazine podcast. How are you doing, man? How, how's life treating you in 2021? Man, life is good. We're about, what, 20 days into the year. It's already, we've already had a lot of activity, a lot of fun stuff has happened in the industry, uh, in the world, the political climate, everything. So it's been great. Great uh, first 20 days of the year. I like to say, uh, if you liked 2020, you're going to love 2021 because uh, <laughs> it's going yeah. to busters, man. 
it's going. It's, I, I believe it's going to be even crazier. I'm anxious to see what happens, but it should be fun. <laughs> oh man, I guess should we do any bold predictions already? You want to bust any out? I mean, I would. I would definitely not be surprised uh, with BlackRock. They just made the announcement about futures. Yep. If Bitcoin goes to three hundred thousand dollars by the end of the year, and then in the political climate, because Bitcoin becomes so valuable, uh, you start having countries looking to uh use bitcoin as its backing i wouldn't be surprised if that happened this year and like a whole switch in the financial system yeah because of uh because of how people perceive it uh i think i think that's a good prediction for this year could happen could not but i i have an inkling that it will what do you do you think that there already are countries silently accumulating absolutely Uh, and even if they're not doing it through the country like the, the government is doing it if they own, like, for example, if they have a lot of miners in China or if they have a lot of industry in, in Norway or in Puerto Rico, at the end of the day, they're probably going to go to them to try and fund their political campaigns, their uh, <laughs> things that they need for roads and, and assistance, because these are going to be people with the money. So, yeah, I think uh, I think those things will be intertwined and countries. Will, I think they're doing it right now, but they can't say anything. out loud. I mean, Venezuela has. What do they have to lose? But, right. uh, but uh, I think some other ones are as well. Man, that's awesome. Okay, yeah, it's going to be a, a crazy year. I'm scared to make a prediction because I'm afraid it's going to be way too bearish. And uh, yeah. I think it's uh, the smart thing to do is to make a really big number prediction. Uh, and then like geopolitical things, I mean, shit, 2020 was so nuts. It's like anything is on the table. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. So look, today I want to bring you on, uh, I don't know, have you ever, you've been on a uh, happy hour with us, right? But I don't think you've been on a podcast properly with mm-hmm. Bitcoin Magazine? No, nah, not properly. Okay, well, cool. Well, this so is, I would not, I don't know that I would call my podcast proper, but I'm glad that you joined me. Um, so mm-hmm. for, first of all, I picked up a copy of your book, Bitcoin and Black America. So hats off, this is really great. And you wrote it a couple of years ago. Um, so I don't, I would think that you would do a better job of me. I took some notes on it, but I was hoping maybe you'd give us an elevator pitch. Uh, what is this book about? Um, and you know, why, what drove you to write it? Oh yeah. So if I give it in short, the synergy between Bitcoin's economics and the black uh, community's need for group economics come together, I describe it, how it can work and why it's a match made in heaven. I also talk about the fact that being left out of the past financial industry means that we need to be ahead of the, the future one. So that is the basis of the book and elevator pitch. And, you know, in my opinion, people that see the book title, the first thing they think is, well, hey, why would you separate Bitcoin in the races? It's for everybody. What you end up seeing when you read this book is it had most of the, the solutions are, are for everybody. The problem is the things that are directly for Black people, that needs to be written. And that was my goal. So if most of it applies to you, cool. If, if it applies, let it fly, you know, and, and if it doesn't, leave it alone. So for most people, you know, when they see that title, they may think, oh, you're leaving out of the races, but actually this is for everybody. And I just want to make sure black, that the black community has the right message from a true Bitcoiner, not just some guy that made a million dollars off Dogecoin one day, you know, so, right. uh, definitely want to get the correct information. Yeah. I think that, um, one of the quotes that I took down, I'm gonna read it for you. Um, I think it kind of, uh, compliments what you were just saying. If any group should be should recognize how media can rep- misrepresent you because they feel threatened, it should be the black community. Bitcoin and black community are a match made in heaven. So I think that uh, illustrates exactly what you were just saying. I think that um, 
the, the point that you're saying about, you know, having, you know, a shot at the future, being on fi- financial footing moving forward for the black community. Uh, can you share a little bit of history? Like how has the black community in the past not had an equal shot? Absolutely. So the biggest example I can use is that most wealth that was accumulated in this country came from your home, came from real estate, came from land, right? And a lot of the uh, patriots or you know people in the army that came back in the early 40s, uh, the GI Bill excluded all but 2% of the GI Bill went to white Americans. Literally, 2% was spread to all of the, the black Americans who came back, they fought in the same war, they had the same struggles, came back and they could not get land or get you know proper resources to acquire that land. And that was the start of it. So in the 40s, you have a lot of acquisition of land by a lot of white people who then use that land as collateral for other things. Businesses, you can build your own house there and it goes on from there. So if you started at that point and then you even have, uh, you know, from that point, banks created redlining. So when white people got this land, they moved around each other. And as soon as a black person would show up in that neighborhood, the property value instantly went down. Literally, as soon as you moved in, property value went down. So there were people who were racist and then there were people who weren't even racist. They were just like, I just don't want property value to go down. Right. That was created by banks. That was a deliberate way to keep black people in certain areas, which if you look today, a lot of black neighborhoods, there's a highway straight through it. And if, as soon as you get off the exit, it's always a black neighborhood. Or if you go to where the old steel mills are, that's where all black homes are because that was deliberate. This, this is this is done by the banks. It started early. And those same tactic, tactics were used in order to suppress wealth in our economy. So that's the, the most wealth that you can attain. The Another way that it has, you know, hurt us is the loans, business loans, the ability to get personal business loans. We've already seen banks. They just in the book, I started 2012. I don't even go all the way back. <laughs> you don't even need to. I started 2012 up to 2019. And you can see discrimination, meaning either not getting a loan, even though you were uh, qualified, just like a white applicant, or you got the loan, but black and brown people got paid out uh, because they were getting higher rates than anybody else. So it was a lose-lose. I mean, there was even a story of a lady who she got her house, um, she got her house looked at for, for pricing and it was like 160,000. And then she took all of her pictures down so they didn't know that she was black and the price was about uh, 50,000 more when they appraised it. So it's like, we've always known that in our community. Right. But to the broader uh, audience, I don't think they've realized that. They thought, hey, we all have a shot. We all could just work hard. It's like, not really. There's there's a lot of factors at play. Even things down to insurance, the amount of insurance that white people could get earlier, black people weren't even allowed to get that amount of insurance. So even if somebody died, couldn't even you couldn't even <laughs> benefit there. So all of these things were deliberate things by our government, by people who wanted to have control. And the worst part is they do the same thing to white Americans. They just make it seem like you have a chance to be like them. They're treating you the same way. You just right. have a little bit more than us. So they use you to be like, well, can't be passive. So they, we're getting we're getting messed over by both either way. So uh, that is, those are a few of the things that, that have happened to take wealth out. But in order to bring that wealth in, we need an asset like Bitcoin. Uh, we need an industry like blockchain or cryptocurrency, you know, down the road that can establish these financial tools that we ha- didn't have access to. Like DeFi, never in the history of America have, have black people been able to get a loan just off collateral. It's always been your zip code or what's your history of revenue or, you know, a lot of things that other people do have, but you have to be perfect just to have a shot. So right. now that that's gone, all you need is collateral. This is our best chance to win free money system, the ability to do what you can and 
I, I'm so happy for the future because nothing can stop it. You know, Pandora's box has been open. Yeah, that, that's super exciting. Uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe months ago, um, kind of prominent Bitcoiner Pierre Richard, he he was tweeting things like, uh, "The central bank in, is racist," and it was kind of hard for me yeah. to wrap my head around at first. But you know, after I read your book and really started putting one to one together, I mean, uh, systematically they have been, and uh, mm-hmm. I think you illustrated really nicely in this book. So, hats off to that. Um, so it sounds like another thing that I gathered from this book was just a lot of the positives that can come from positive feedback loop of keeping Bitcoin in the black community. And you illustrate in some of the other uh, like minority communities where um, the, the money will actually stay within the community and circulate much longer than it does in the black community. Would you mind touching in on that a little bit and how Bitcoin might help that uh, help the black community? Mm-hmm. Um, so group economics is the basis of my argument that the black community could have that positive feedback loop using something like Bitcoin. And group economics is something that is practiced uh, by a lot of groups. You have uh, in, in L.A. when I lived there, you had Chinatown, you had Koreatown, you had little Ethiopia, uh, you had little Mexico. You had, you know, different places uh, around the city where that was a survival tactic. When you come from another country, a lot of people who came in the early 1900s, so, you know, to Ellis Island in New York, Italians, Russians, the reason they were split off, that was a survival tactic to keep your culture and to keep it inherited. The problem is we're the only group of people here that did not migrate. We did not, we're not immigrants. We were brought here forcefully. And then there were black people who were already on the continent um, as well, but that's another conversation, more Native Americans. But we, we didn't immigrate. So in our mind, what is successful is doing what we see successful people do. And because white people are perceived as more successful, we don't necessarily see white people practice group economics, not not, and you know, on purpose, not say I'm only going to work with these white people. But what you do see is numbers wise, 99 percent of VC money goes to white people. Most of the GI Bill went to white people. Most of the money that comes from the civil rights bill. 1964, the thing that we supposedly fought so hard for, 1968, sorry, we fought so hard for, most of it goes to white women because they are minorities, technically. So at the end of the day, even if it's not group economics among white people, that's just how we perceive it. So we're like, we can do the same thing. We can work like an individual and that'll make it better for us. No, we are not in that position. We have to use each other. And that's what I illustrate with group economics. If you have a business, you can employ your kids or your nephews. You pay for them to go to college. They become the lawyers, the doctors, who then come back into that community. And then they're the lo- your lawyer. They're your doctor. Uh, this was most prominent in Koreatown. They don't even have their businesses in English because they don't give a shit. If you, if, you, if you can't speak that language, we don't need you. That is the point I was trying to make. And I think because we're going into a digital world, we have the opportunity to not only have group economics, maybe brick and mortar stores, but digitally. We can have group economics around the world. I, I don't have to be in Ghana to send Bitcoin there or to invest in a business via Bitcoin. I don't have to be there. I don't ever have to visit, but that is essentially group economics. And it's not because you're black, it's because of merit. And I think black people should strive to be great. And based on merit, if you are, a lot of black people will end up in group economics anyway. So that is my goal with Bitcoin. And I think Bitcoin is perfect because it literally is its own money system. So if it never leaves, uh, you're practicing group economics and you don't even realize it. Yeah, uh, one of the, towards the end of the book, you talk about, you know, I guess, how to onboard um, more black people to it. And you talk about different, um, different avenues to do that. And one of them that I thought was really interesting was the black church, which again, you know, I'm not a black man, so I haven't thought about this, but the idea of the black church, it's such a, you know, big audience 
And um, man, I, you, you were kind of laying the foundation as, you know, every black church in America and mosque should, um, you know, be able to accept Bitcoin and they should do it immediately. Oh, yeah. And I definitely believe that, especially with services like BitGive, where you can actually, if you have a 501c3, which every church is, you can <laughs> accept Bitcoin. Like the second they closed the book, they could have just got on the website and did it. Um, also, I, I wanted to point out that the the black church is such an institution that in order to convince the people who in the black community have the most money, mostly older people, they listen to their pastors. They listen to their, their uh, religious leader, whoever it is. So if we are going to get Bitcoin in the communities, the ability to donate it and hold it long term to build wealth, got to teach the pastors. And that's one thing I've definitely uh, started working on with uh, Russell Okung, you know, from the Panthers. Oh, yeah. Me and him are, are thinking of doing a Bitcoin and black church tour, um, you know, still trying to hash that out just because I mean, I'm not religious myself, um, but all, every my mom, my stepdad, my dad, my stepmom and uh, even other people, they're all pastors. So I've, I've been in I've seen it which is sort of probably why I'm not religious, but I've seen it all. And I've seen how, how much influence they have sure. over, you know, people's opinion, especially money, because they give 10% of their wealth to a church every week in the, you know, in, in the Baptist church or Southern Baptist. So um, in other places, I think if that was the case, but it was Bitcoin, you would have churches that if this was going on for the last five years, they would have way more than enough money to help fund some of the things in their local community. So right. yeah, the black church is definitely important. It is, a part of our uh, culture. So we have to recognize it again. I'm not religious, but you have to understand if you want to do the whole black community, you got to include everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a, a great sense. So um, that's exciting. You mentioned uh, a Russ, man. How about his big announcement? Pay me in Bitcoin is a reality. What do you think about that? Oh man, I knew it was coming. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> uh, not because, you know, I have a crystal ball, but uh, after I talked to him in LA at the LA blockchain summit in uh, 2018, 2019, um, after I talked to him there, I was fully convinced that he was going to actually get paid in Bitcoin because he was so adamant. He was like, it's going to happen. I don't care what I have to do. And it's funny, you know, he brought up Russell uh, talking to his pastor, going back to the black church. That was the first one I talked to who like got it after like 30 minutes. And he was like, this is awesome. So, yeah, Russell's great. Um, I think the announcement was great because it, it kicked off a wave of people asking, can we get paid in Bitcoin? I don't yeah. think some people realize they could get paid. They always thought I could just buy it. You know, some people just look at it as an investment or a stock. But once you're like, you can get paid in Bitcoin. I think a uh, MLS star or a soccer star overseas is yep. doing the same thing now. I just saw that. It's more, it's, it's more coming. And I can promise you one thing. If inflation does what I think it's going to do with printing and it becomes more risky to hold a dollar day to day, you're going to have a massive wave of millionaires in the NBA, NFL, just pay me in Bitcoin. I'm not holding dollars because by the end of the season, I don't even have 10% of my wealth anymore. With Bitcoin, at least I have a chance. So that'll be interesting to see. And uh, the Bitcoin standard will definitely uh, be fun to see in, in the NBA NFL. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, um, I think that it was under Russ's threat. Maybe he said it. I can't remember. So, Russ, if mm -hmm. you're listening, I apologize if I'm not getting you credit. But I th it might have been him. But he said, uh, imagine uh, NFL players, they get paid on Monday or Tuesday the following week. That's when, mm -hmm. you know, paychecks hit their bank accounts. So, if you've got this army of NFL players um, dollar cost averaging their paychecks on Monday, mm. Tuesday. Holy shit, man. You're going to see price pump <laughs> every Monday. They're going to be taking coin off the market every week. Mm. And then that's just NFL. Imagine yeah. the other pro athletes and entertainers. And so yeah. my big th thing is like, 
man, can you front run payday? You know, like it's high <laughs> with anticipation that price, you know, price is going to pump because you mm-hmm. anticipate X amount is being taken off the market uh, via these kind of payday solutions. Um, yeah. Just it's super fascinating and exciting to think about. Oh yeah, definitely uh, hyper Bitcoinization happening well, if that happens. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the guys. I mean, if LeBron is like pay me in Bitcoin. I'm selling my house to, to, to buy as much Bitcoin as possible because everybody will be like, okay, well, what's this, you know, so yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, it's only a matter of time. It's how game theory plays out. They're going to um, see they don't have a choice. these other people. They're not going to have a choice. I know. <laughs> Bitcoin does not care. You bend the knee and submit to Bitcoin. So, <laughs> exactly. uh, so um, I, I had a lot of ideas thinking just hearing you talk. So, um, as you and Russ are talking, you know, about this possible tour, I'd be curious, you know, what has been the successful way for you to, I guess, communicate uh, with black people on onboarding them to uh, Bitcoin? Uh, Twitter. Not even going to lie. Twitter, I literally have built every most of what I have from Twitter because, for one, on Instagram, I don't do pictures like that. I don't think yeah. most Bitcoiners are IG people. We, we're talkers. We write stuff. We explain ideas. stuff. So ideas, exactly. So I think Twitter was built for our community. So uh, a lot of uh, Black Twitter, which is very popular, a lot of the memes, a lot of the stuff that comes out of Twitter that people use in mainstream comes from, quote unquote, Black Twitter. And I think using Twitter as a platform um, to not only introduce Black people to Bitcoin, but explain it further once you know I write the book and everything. I think Twitter was was perfect for that because, you know, you can answer people's questions quickly. I can put out ideas and, you know, test it out. And one of the challenges I will say with with getting it out to black people is that if they don't see you in person, a lot of times black people don't believe it until they see it in person. That's just honest. They don't care. Like I've I've talked to a lot of people in the industry and they're like, I don't understand. He's smart. He knows what he's talking about. You know, P.R. Richard, Breedlove, all the guys I watch. I'm like, but you don't understand. It's because I'm in the industry. People on the outside looking in. They see you on screen. They're like, "Yeah, but I don't know you." Like, so you could be lying to me. Mean? So, what do you mean? You, you, they have to see it. Do that is? That's, do you mean like they need a wallet on their phone and they need to actually receive and, it? And like, holy shit, this works. Yes, that's what I mean. Because <laughs> the black community has been lied to so much. There's so many, you know, pie in the sky ideas that come up. The first thing is defensive. They're not offensive like a lot of people uh, who have attained wealth before. A lot of black people I've met with are very defensive. They're like, "Wait, hold up." You mean to tell me there's a chance? And you like, if you've been beaten down so much, I don't know if you saw that video of that, uh, what was it, cow that was released, but he was in prison for 20 years. He kept walking in a circle because he kept thinking he was in prison. Wow. That is the black community. I mean, if you present an idea where it's like, we can actually have freedom, we can solve the problems you're talking about. The first inclination is, I don't know. Are you sure? You know what I mean? What, what's going to happen if the government, does? you know, it's all these questions. So that is my second point, going to see people in person. That's one thing I don't think a lot of people will do. They may show up at a conference and speak on stage. Uh, they may, you know, do small meetup groups. But I mean, literally, one-on-one, I was driving up and down 85 between 2013 and 2016, meeting people in their homes, one-on-one, showing them this is how it works. This is how you do it. Meeting with small groups, uh, definitely on my book tour, the same thing. When people can feel you, touch you, see you, hear you in person, I think that bodes well for the Black community. So Twitter and also getting out and seeing people, that's how I've been able to get through, I believe. That's exciting. Do you, do you think that uh, part of that, I guess, uh, roadshow, you would do anything with like high school age kiddos and communities? Uh, so I actually had a part of my tour was uh, focused on colleges. So I went to Howard University in North Carolina Central. 
Um, no high schools yet, but uh, the good thing is I am having a Bitcoin uh, virtual summer camp starting in June. I'm on the board for a 501c3 called Innovative Learning. So we'll be having a tech week and the Bitcoin summer camp will be a part of that. So uh, definitely we'll be teaching high school and middle school is that because like I've always said, the pipeline of people that are going to really change the world, we're, we're basically old geezers at this point in right. the Bitcoin world. The 15-year-old, the 12-year-old that's studying smart contracts and, and, you know, looking at Bitcoin and figuring out how to, <clears throat> how to build different tools, they're going to eat our lunch. So I definitely want to be the guy to teach them or at least guide them in the right direction um, because we can't have a bunch of, uh, you know, people getting educated to, to make ICOs again. No, you need to learn that this is a different money system <laughs> right. and that you need to, to adapt to it. Because if you think about it, no kid under the age of 12 has lived in a world without Bitcoin. That's crazy to think about. Yeah, but. I have two little girls and I think the same thing. They're Bitcoin native and you can't, yeah. you can't uninvent it. You can't change it. Yeah, yeah, only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't, can't put it back in, in the Pandora's box. It's, it's gone. It's out here now. Man, that's exciting. So um, I want a quick antidote. So my wife, she went to Little Rock Central here in Little Rock and mm-hmm. um, she has a bunch of black friends and they were talking about, you know, what, what some of the big world problems are. And uh, a lot of it, a lot of the comments were about like systematic racism and things like that, which are absolutely legit things. And my wife, of course, they were asking for fresh ideas. And my wife slid in there and said, Hey, consider Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin fixes this. And then uh, she got uh, shit on pretty hard (laughs) for even (laughs) proposing that Bitcoin could possibly be something to level a playing field. Um, So I guess I wanted to bring that up because I think she actually replied to you and you gave her a thoughtful response about that. And it was just about, uh, you know, I think it kind of goes back to the point that you made that uh, black community, they need to see it to believe it. And I think it's kind of hard to imagine and even believe like how can magic internet money fix that? I mean, do you have any comment on that little story? Yes. So the pushback that your wife got, I've gotten the same pushback from black people. They will, we will sit in a circle and talk about all these problems and then I'll offer Bitcoin as a solution. And they're like, oh, my God. And this is, you know, five, six years ago. So they really were like, oh, my God, what do you mean? The thing for yeah. the drug dealers? What are you talking about? The thing for the multi-level marketing scheme or Ponzi scheme? I'm like, no, that's not what it is at all. And what I think in the Black community, when you say that, their first inclination is that you think, well, if we make a lot of money, then racism is over. That's not what I mean at all. The fact of the matter is you can make a lot of money doing something else. Bitcoin is not necessarily for that. The actual uh, change in a money system, the change in what we put our monetary energy into is the change that we need because at the root of the problem is the money. So everything that sprouts out from that, that's surface level. That's low hanging fruit. I mean, that's things, there are things we need to uh, address, but that is low hanging fruit. The root of the problem is the money. Who controls it? Because if they control the outflow of money, they can control, they can literally steal from you quietly with inflation. They can give money to uh, to banks and call it trickle down economics, even though you don't feel any trickle at any point. But they can just do what they want, um, and you don't. You're not free. And like even today, I tell people you're a millionaire, but you're still not free. You got limits on how much you can send. You can only do Monday through Friday nine to nine to five p.m. You're still limited. So as a black person who would say systemic racism racism is a problem, I'd be like, what do you think funds that system? Fiat dollars. As soon as you take that away, you don't have you don't need a military that's worth trillions. 
You don't need to fund politicians with thousands. Of, there should be a cap, really, on how much you can fund politicians. A hundred apiece at most. It shouldn't, <laughs> mean, it shouldn't matter if you're a millionaire or you just know up the street. hundred dollars a piece. You know what I mean? Like sure. with Bitcoin, that's possible because you can you can basically, you know, have these rules where it's like, well, what do we even need politicians for? Like, right. like people can't even imagine that because, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, systemic racism or the government solve it. And I always ask a lot of black people is like, at what point do you realize you don't need a government? Like national federal government like why why like what what have they really done done for us which i think what i am agreeing with you for sure it's like uh they're talking about the second and third order effects um but the first principles are the money is the root problem that's how they derive their power uh the government and the state that is so Mm -hmm. yeah that's fascinating insight um and once you explain it that way they start to get it but if they don't understand bitcoin they still think it's just, oh, you can't make enough money to get rid of racism, but it's fine. I'll, I'll get the message out plenty and we'll be fine. <laughs> I think you're, you've got a pretty solid pitch. I can tell you've been doing it for many years. Very concise. <laughs> I think oh, yeah, um, sure. I also, Hey, I noticed uh, volume two is coming out for your book. Is it going to be the same title, just volume two, or what's the game plan on uh, the next, next chapter, if you will. Absolutely. So it's a completely different book, but it is the same name, Volume 2. Just took it up a notch. Uh, in, 20, in 2021, we could not afford to still be content with people saying, hey, yeah, I got Bitcoin on Coinbase. I'm, I got Bitcoin. No, you don't. That's not. That's basically like most of the Black community that just got in. They're like, well, I got some on Coinbase or I got some shit going on. Off, whatever. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Uh, something. So that's not enough. So if Bitcoin in Black America was a 100 level course, this is more like a 200 level, taking it up a level. How do you run your own node? How do you create a private wallet? How do you save your keys so that you're, so that if somebody passes, you can pass it down in your will? Wow. How do you deal with it with divorce and marriage? Uh, how <clears throat> how can you make and earn money in this market without trading? Because that's another big thing with Black people. I try to explain when they get into this market, you're not a trader. <laughs> 98% of traders lose over a 10-year span uh, net fees. So you're not a trader. 99.9% of Bitcoin's history, everybody's in profit. So you got a 98% fail rate versus 99.9% success rate. Choose what you want, but I'm going with the Bitcoin side. And I tell people that, and in the book, I give them eight ways to earn Bitcoin. You don't have to be a trader to earn Bitcoin. Uh, you can use what you already have to get what you want. So that's in the book as well. I, I talk about dollar cost averaging strategies. Uh, I talk about businesses and, and taxes that are required to that. So it's a higher level of thinking. It's like, okay, well, Bitcoin's an industry. What do I do to attain it? And also how can it benefit us? I uh, also write about over 20 different countries because I think the day will come where a lot of black people may have to leave the US if they're in the Bitcoin and crypto world in order to get the recognition or maybe uh, the community that they deserve. Uh, so I write about those and you know, I go into Bitcoin as reparations. Uh, I'm not big for asking anybody for anything, but if you want something along those lines, just take them. Just yeah. get Bitcoin and wait. And I explain that in full. Like it's it's so easy, it's it's complicated because people think there has to be this long fight with the government to take it back. It's like, well, why don't you just own an asset that they're going to funnel money into? They're going to print money and give it to you. It's very simple. So talk about Bitcoin as reparations. A lot of the second book is definitely higher level, and I want people to understand that this is here to stay. And this is probably my last book for at least 10 years. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, yeah. have, how long have you been, like when you wrote the first book, mm-hmm. did you know immediately like there's going to be a volume two? Oh yeah. Yeah. The first book was about 300 or so pages. Um, so I cut out half of it and saved a lot for the second one Yeah, because I, I was writing it 
Like even, uh, you know, I started the second book talking about how to run a node. I had that in the first book, but I was like, somebody's just starting. We're not fucking running yeah, a node. Terrible, <laughs> like, exactly. So that's not happening. And then uh, also what happened in 2020, I did not see COVID coming. I had that second part ready, but when COVID came, it was like, I got to write about what happened this year. The dump to 4K, everybody yeah. was killing it. And then the rise to 40K in price. But not only that, the increase in awareness with Michael Saylor buying it, you know, with uh, 18 public treasuries having right. Bitcoin on their balance. I had to write about this stuff. So, uh, and, and it becomes to me more relevant um, because 2000, because year over year, Bitcoin changes. Like right. everything I wrote about 2019, I read it. I'm like, the price was $9,000 when I wrote it. Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like we were still the trying to figure out. way like, different. Better. Yeah way different in one year so that's why i felt the need to write it and this is a perfect time we got an inflection point and i think this book is needed yeah i think as i was reading it i was like i bet isaiah has uh, matured and like learned so many new things in that short <laughs> period of time since he published mm-hmm. this so i'm excited Absolutely. for volume two because i think volume one it, w- it was fascinating what i mean obviously i'm i'm like a bitcoin maximalist um, mm-hmm. but you talk a lot about a lot of things and I think it's important because, uh, people who maybe pick this book up, they probably have heard a bunch of random things out there, you know, mm-hmm. stoves yeah. and staking and like all, I see all these different jargon. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's important that you covered it and you did. And so, yeah. yeah, I'll be looking forward to volume two, maybe roll up sleeves a little bit more on Bitcoin. That's exciting. Oh yeah. Well, this is another thing. The first book, including that stuff mm-hmm. was just for beginners because it doesn't matter when they start, they're going to dabble in it anyway. Yep. So I might as well give them a look. The second one is like 95% Bitcoin stuff. Like it's just like a small piece about like DeFi. Yeah. And then it's really just saying that that means that it can happen on Bitcoin. So it's really, wait, like I said, I take it up a level. It's time for the kitty games to be over the ICO cryptocurrencies and shit coins that are not going anywhere. Right. Focus. Like, focus on Bitcoin. So I'm getting pumped up now. Yeah. That's definitely apparent in the second one. And, uh, and also I introduce two things for one, it is an educational experience. There's three webinars attached to it. The third one is actually, I'll be filming it later tonight. Um, with the, the customers who purchase it, that's available as well. Also I introduce scarcity. There's only 10,000 hardcover books that'll ever be sold. Um, the reason being when they sell out someday, that means other people can get value from it later uh, in the future, because if it is valuable and people find it valuable and the demand goes up, that's the reason I got into Bitcoin. So I wanted to make my book scarce uh, on purpose because I, yeah. I realized I only need really like 10,000 people, like 10,000 focused people in the black community. I don't need everybody. I'm right. not even trying to help everybody. You end well, up helping that's nobody. That's the thing with Bitcoin. You know, once, yeah. once it gets you, once you get it, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't unget it. You know, you're going to exactly. be either a true believer or you don't get it. So if you get 10,000 true believers, man, that's, that's a hell of an army. Hey, hey, yeah. And, and when I first started, I'm not sure like when you first got into Bitcoin, but do you remember Poloniex back in the 2014? Oh yeah, I had an account. Yeah. Yeah. So remember Poloniex at two in the morning, it'd be like 700 people, like 1200 people in the whole world. <laughs> so that's when, you know, thinking along those lines, I was like, and somehow we went from that to a, you know, the industry that's about to be worth a trillion dollars. So yeah. with scarcity, I'm like, I don't need that many people. You only need really hardcore 10,000 people. And we can go from there. I can just funnel them all the information and they can help me in it as well. I don't know. I don't think it's going to take 10 years for volume three, maybe something else. I think you've got more <laughs> in you. Yeah. Well, the, I say that only because <laughs> writing a book is extremely hard yeah. and uh, taxing. And I just had a two month old daughter and I oh, do want to enjoy 
Thank you. Thank you. I want to enjoy her formidable years before I get back in writing mode. So yeah, I wanted to get this out. Yeah. I want to get this out. And I, I you know, I, it may be one before 10 years, but we'll see. I think uh, the Bitcoin industry will do something crazy before that time. So it may, may warrant a third version. You're, you're going to uh, develop a, a, a knowledge of My Little Pony and Disney <laughs> princesses that you have never thought. I know. I'm already, <laughs> already waiting for it. I mean, we've, we've already started with the, uh, the, the songs that, I don't know, the sing-songy songs on YouTube for kids. <laughs> like, it's just running in the background now. <laughs> you have I don't even own my own TV. <laughs> already. Yeah. Already. Yeah, oh, man, so that's cool. awesome. Well, congrats mm-hmm. on that. So, okay, I want to touch on this too. I just I saw on your uh, Twitter uh, profile, a recent tweet, looks like you've got a new venture with our friends at Coindesk. So lay it on me. Tell, tell me what the heck you're working on. Yes, yeah, so we, I have a new show coming out called Community Crypto on, on Coindesk TV. We will be starting in February. February 8th is the tentative date. And the show will basically be uh, an opportunity for different meetup groups around the country to meet virtually, discuss topics, and then present it on the show, as well as maybe a fireside chat with somebody from the group in order to get more information and to basically build a global economy or global uh, you know, group with local meetup groups. And that's been a vision of mine. Like I said before, group economics in the Black community or group economics in the Bitcoin community doesn't matter. We don't need to be in the same place in order to have this network work. Obviously, we have nodes all around the world. Right. And that's what I want to show, show on the show. Different places like Miami, D.C., Ukraine, Botswana, um, New Hampshire, uh, things going on in, in California, Canada. Like basically we're finding people all over the world in different use cases, because I think in the U.S. we're kind of spoiled. Everybody thinks, oh, it's just an investment. Bitcoin is something. But other places, Bitcoin is literally survival. I mean, right. there's certain places where the volatility of Bitcoin is less than their current money. So they would much rather use it. And those are the stories I want to get. Uh, those are the type of people I want to talk to, and that's what will be on Coindesk. Awesome. So are, would it be a format like uh, you, you'll be like an interview format with the meetup organizers? And I guess yes. in some cases there would be multiple organizers that you'd be talking mm-hmm. to? Yep, it would be that, but it would be pre-recorded. And then okay. uh, I would also have, you know, it'll be an interview with either somebody in the group or somebody who, you know, taught there. Uh, for example, MIT, we have them on the schedule. Uh, their meetup group, but one of the women from the meetup group interviewing her. So that would be sort of the, the thing, interview, meetup, and then explanation of whatever concepts we went through. So I need to take some notes because uh, my local meetup group needs some work here in Arkansas. So, Hey man, it's uh, all good. All you gotta do is get a couple. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's all good. That's awesome, man. Okay. Well, look, I, I think we're kind of nearing the end of this. I, I think, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this has been fascinating. I think what you're doing is really admirable and uh, I'm looking forward to volume two. So I guess with that being said, how can people find you? And is there anything that you want to pump before we wrap this up? Yes. You can find me on Twitter at Bitcoin Zay. Make sure it's Bitcoin Zay, Z-A-Y. I do have some scammers on there. You can find me on IG at Bitcoin Zay LLC. Same thing. There are scammers. Make sure that's me. And uh, you can also find me on the Gentleman of Crypto Daily, uh, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. So catch us on there. We're talking news. We talk shit about dinosaurs like Jamie Dimon. Uh, we <laughs> laugh at people like Janet Yellen. We answer questions from the chat. You know, have a good time. So, yeah, join us Monday through Friday, 10 a.m., the Gentleman of Crypto. Hey, are you on the uh, Clubhouse yet? 
Yep, I own Clubhouse. Uh, co I'm the co-owner of Black Bitcoin Billionaires, the largest Bitcoin group on Clubhouse and the first group to get an unofficial sponsor. So uh, join us on Clubhouse as well if you have an iPhone. I know some people don't, but it's all good. Yeah, man. We, Me and my wife, uh, she has an iPhone. I don't have one. So we snuck mm -hmm. in there and oh my gosh, there was some fascinating conversation on Saturday. So yeah, Absolutely. love what you're doing, man. Thanks for everything. <laughs> Thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, look forward to next time. All right. How good was that? Isaiah is so damn good at communicating the value of Bitcoin. And I think what he's doing is really remarkable. And I'm truly looking forward to his next book. And what he's doing with Russ and outreach in the black community is pretty awesome. And I think he's a great entry point for noobs. So anyway, be sure to check him out at BitcoinandBlackAmerica.com and give him a follow on Twitter at BitcoinZay. And always let me know uh, if you have any thoughts or comments. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Joe Rogers or shoot me an email, uh, joe at bitcoinmagazine.com. We've got a great Telegram group and uh, always looking for contributions. So please hit me up. Until next time, thanks for listening. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.